Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. We are back. Taryn, I think we're feeling better, right? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's the, uh, the ups and downs of the year. It, it's just, uh, a little strange, right? Like I think the 1968 Tigers are the only other team that was like 35 games above 500 and got swept by a team as bad as these Cubs are. So, um, yeah, it's just a, a strange year and, and there have been ups and downs, but, um, true to form, the, the Mets came through with, with some big ups to close out this week. Hey, um, I think one thing that gets overlooked a lot when it comes to playing out of contention teams late in the season is the the uh, the pride quotient is undervalued. And I think that at least against the Cubs, the Mets ran into a team that was playing with a certain amount of pride. Uh, the Mets also did not show up offensively whatsoever. I mean, they made Adrian Sampson, who looked fine. I, I put it up on Twitter that he had, he had a really good night. His changeup looked disgusting. Um, I, I, I even said, you know, cap tip at the end of saying, you know, he's pitched well against other contenders. He doesn't have good numbers overall, but, uh, and the Mets, you know, clearly are much better than what they looked against Chicago, but I did. I said cap tip to Samson, and oh my god, I got just torn apart. People weren't happy, man, and and I, I get it, but I also don't get it. Like people are gonna, we have had this conversation so many times. It feels like, but people are gonna fan how they're gonna fan. I just when you have a team that's this good, this loaded with veteran leadership, this well led by a an experienced you know, baseball savant type manager, you know, a down stretch doesn't concern me all that much. And it certainly doesn't concern me to the, to the, to the level of, you know, just meltdown that we see on social media, which also has been talked about at length, but you got to Like you said, you got to like how they bounce back against Pittsburgh. Who's also not a contending team, but a talented team. There's some talented players on that roster. Yeah, absolutely. And and so just real quick about that Cubs series. Uh, something oh, yeah, please. I'd ask you about. Um, the Mets have seemingly had issues with guys that they're seeing for the first time uh, a few times this year. So uh, Assad was also in, in the first game of that series. Um, Bailey Falter has been another one. Samson, you mentioned. Do you think there's something about that that the that maybe the Mets are like so into video and and being prepared that when there's less on a guy, maybe they're they're a little bit more ripe to be picked on? I think that that there's there is a mental aspect to facing an inexperienced pitcher 
I think that there's a also a disadvantage there facing a guy that you've never seen before. And they do have the, you know, they have the VR sets now, which uh, I'm sure help a ton. But, you know, until you're standing in the box, presumably, you know, you don't understand everything about, you know, you can't pick up, you don't know exactly how it comes out. You don't know how exactly how, how quick you're going to pick it up. Um, you don't know, you know, how that spin is going to look in a certain light of day, whatever. Uh, it, it takes in a bat or two in some cases. Some guys can step right in the box and just hit. But, you know, for a guy like Assad, whose secondary stuff was working really well, uh, Samson, who the Mets did see earlier in the year, I think. And again, his his secondary stuff worked. And when a team isn't hitting and when they're not catching up to 93, 94 mile an hour fastballs, I think one of them threw a little hard. I think Assad threw a little harder, but, um, you he know, had cut on it too. Oh yeah, exactly. I think it was like a sinker or something, but you know, it's a recipe for disaster for a team that's floundering. And at the time the Mets were, were not playing good baseball. They were winning series, but they weren't winning them as convincingly as they should have, as they expect themselves to, as we all expected them to this Pittsburgh series. And yeah, they, they were ups and downs, but, um, you know, they, they got back on track. They, they, the confidence that's so necessary to kind of keep up this grind through 162 and, and you know, do it impressively, um, you know, cause that's all mental. And then plus going up there and actually, you know, performing it's, um, it's gotta be grueling. I couldn't, couldn't wrap my head around six months of, just the grind and on the other side you have professionals who are just as if not more capable than you and in the same you know dynamic you're getting job competition tossed in what if you're not one of them top 10 percenters that have you know long-term stability in this game you're fighting for your job you have so much to worry about and this isn't necessarily about the Mets just the the wide spectrum of baseball it's it's just a you know it's so interesting fascinating it's yeah it's, i i think yes. the Cubs, like you said have a bunch of guys like that that are playing for their next opportunity oh. uh, that that's going to come or not and i thought that they played really hard when we saw them at wrigley earlier this summer um and those were big wins for the mets but um i i believe that chicago stole one of those games it might have been the last game of the series in Wrigley. So um, this has been the case this year. And you're right. I mean, they're professionals on that side. You're talking about the grind. And and I think that everything is magnified right now with the Mets, given like how Atlanta has played for the better part of three months now, uh, chasing the Mets. Um, they did overtake them for a day, which was, you know, very difficult. And then... Uh, have have kind of struggled on their own, but both teams with sweeps this weekend, um, and now the difficulty of the schedule kind of flips. So Atlanta will have Washington coming into town, whereas the Mets go out and they'll face uh, a suddenly red-hot Milwaukee team that has been scuffling for most of the second half. And they find themselves a little bit back. And again, the the I don't is it intangible? To, to just play with fire? Is that an intangible? I guess so, right? Yeah, I, I mean, that's probably uh, 
part of what has um, benefited the Mets this year is that they've they've gotten away with it a lot of times, even when they're not perfect. And I think that that's because they're a really good baseball team. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just going to be like this. The the rest of the we've got two weeks left of the regular season. It's this is what it's going to be, and it's going to come down to that last series uh, in Atlanta. Um, the Mets well, have an opportunity. Sorry, sorry. I, I might. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're fine. Did the last series of the season get pushed back to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday versus Washington, or was that a result of the lockout? That's a I, lockout. I, That's I was going to say I can't ever remember a season ending on a Wednesday, but yeah, the lockout must have come into play. I wanted. I thought they said they were going to try and squeeze everything in, but you know, extend yeah. the week, and then I guess your bye winners or your bye weeks for your bye week teams would then be off for a full week before the NLDS starts. Uh, I, I, I want to say it's the 12th, but it could be the 10th and or something along those lines. Yeah. I'm not sure the, uh, the dates exactly, but um, I, I think it'll be a huge benefit. Whoever does end up winning the division, which hopefully it's the Mets, you know, um, <laughs> it's good. But- Dude, it's good. I mean, I mean, Atlanta's playing well. Um, of course. They, it, uh, I love it. I love it. I, I don't. And both of these teams are probably going to win 100 games, right? So, like, obviously, the fans of whichever team does not do it is going to be rightfully disappointed. They're going to be maybe a little bit vulnerable to being picked off because, um, I mean, I, I think that whoever is going to take the other two wildcard spots in the NL is going to be, again, a good team. And if it's, if it's the Phillies, I mean, they have a really electric offense. Bryce Harper is back. Obviously, they didn't really show it this weekend in Atlanta, um, and their bullpen is an issue. But I mean, whoever makes the playoffs uh, in the NL, I mean, they're 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 going to be very tough to to overcome, especially in a short series. So we'll see what happens with all of that. But the good news is, right? Like like you said when I, I responded to your tweet and I was like, I'm not having fun during the cup <laughs> series. You're like, well, it's a good thing that they're going to play again. <laughs> it would be a really long winter if they weren't going to have more games before then. So uh, I, I think that they've um, kind of figured out what uh, what's going on. And the reemergence of Vogelback in this series, I, I think was a huge, huge lift to this team to go along with, uh, with Escobar hitting since he's returned and then, um, you know, McNeil has been fantastic. Uh, Pete showed some life. Lindor on uh, Roberto Clemente Day, I think that was the first game of the series with everyone wearing 21. And, um, beautiful day, beautiful ceremony. Yeah, it's, uh, again, a, 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 a cap tip to the Mets because they've done that so many times this year, really, like, celebrating the history of the game and the history of the organization. So that was really cool. And it was cool that Clemente's team, Pittsburgh, was in town. And and uh, as a Puerto Rican, I know that uh, Lindor grew up uh, hearing these stories about uh, um, uh, Clemente. So it was just really cool for him to go yard in that game while wearing 21. He wears the inverse normally. So yeah. I, I thought that that was like a really cool moment. Maybe it, it, it picked them up a little bit because it was like something exciting was happening at the ballpark that day. Oh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, coming off of a 
such a disappointing series against Chicago, embracing the pomp and circumstance, the history, the all right, and it's you know, Latino players, of course, you know, Roberto Clemente is an inspiration, was a a a pioneer, a trailblazer. He was elite. You know, I, I think we've talked about him, you know, on the show before, but you know, fans, baseball fans of a certain age, when the name Roberto Clemente is brought up, it's almost like a, a gasp and it's a, oh, you go, oh, you, you had to have seen him, you had to have seen him. And, you know, we get your, your occasional clips and if you fall down a rabbit hole on YouTube, it's just magic. The man was just born to play baseball and he, he went so much further. He took his fame and his platform and he did wonderful things with it. That's, that's Human, of course, eventually humanitarian. What, yep. Yeah. It's eventually what, you know, what led to his early demise, which was, you know, just a tragedy. I think baseball still feels that sting. I wasn't born, wasn't born for another decade plus after he passed away. And, and, you know, it hits me just because you're so intertwined with the history of this game. And, and that's kind of the foundation of this. It's the stats and the history. And boy, if you, if you, you know, if you love this game, like we love this game, you, you, you feel that you didn't have to watch Clemente play. You just know how important he is to the game. And yeah, I do think that the Mets kind of felt that and caught that lightning in a bottle because they came out fired up and they came out, you know, they came out ready to win. And uh, I thought it was also, like you said, very cool that the Pirates were in town for it. Uh, again, big shout out to Danny Torres over at the Talking 21 podcast. You know, he lives for all things Clemente. This is our, my good friend Danny. And, and he, you know, it, this is, it, like I was saying, it's a special day for a lot of people. And, uh, of course, you know, players of Puerto Rican descent, players of Latino descent. It's, it's just so... It's a magical day, and it's a, it was very cool to have all of the former, I guess, former winners who could attend or alive, uh, all in, in the same place at the same time. I thought that was amazing. Uh, I didn't even mind that Fox was covering the game. Joe Davis, I thought, was really good. And John Smoltz is John Smoltz, but Joe Davis really isn't bad. I enjoyed him on Sunday as well. He did the Giants game. And, uh, and Lindor... Continues to have a, a great year, a, a great second year with the Mets. He uh, not only uh, broke the tie with Azdrubal Cabrera for most home runs as a Mets shortstop, he already had the RBI record. We covered that earlier this year, but um, he's leading the team in in wins. And uh, I think that the team has more or less gone as he's gone. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I know that I, I said that. <laughs> I think I brought that up right when he was, I guess, during his last slump. And it wasn't even like he was slumping. He was just doing a little fuck. And the Mets were kind of, you know, losing some games, coinciding with it. And it was very obvious that, you know, as Francisco Lindor goes, the Mets go. The same, I know the broadcast and our buddy Mike Mayer over at Mets Mirage brought this up this weekend. Um the same thing can go for Pete Alonzo, and I believe Tim Britton at the Athletic kicked in that it's usually just as uh, – it's it's not really unusual to see this where you have your big primetime players. If they don't perform, the team doesn't win. Sometimes, of course, guys pick each other up, and we've seen that a bunch this year. But 
I know SNY posted Pete stats, and this is through Saturday's games. So this is leading into Sunday. So in wins, Alonzo's hitting 323, 398, 618. That's a 1016 OPS. In losses, he's at 168, 244, 298, 543 OPS, almost half, a little under half. Uh, Lindor is pretty much the same story. 305, 380, 504, which is 885 OPS in win in, in games that the Mets win, which would be his, I want to say, career high for him. Uh, of course, all overall, uh, not just uh, in wins, but in losses, I mean, not identical to Pete, but, uh, you know, under the Mendoza line, 195, 269, 335. I, you know, I think it's, I don't think it's unexpected. I don't think it should be unexpected that as, you know, your most talented and most productive of the most important players, if they don't perform, it makes it tougher to win ball games. That's just, you know, that's logic. That's baseball. When you have a team that's as deep as the Mets and you have guys who are, you know, playing like the hair is on fire, the Mets have a couple of them right now. Even with a guy like Starling Marte, I have some notes on him too. We'll get to him in a second, but you know, you're missing him. Mark Canna, who was red hot, he's slumping a little bit. He's at so from the start of the second half till the end of August, he was hitting 292, 384, 504. I can't read my hand right. It could be 584. <laughs> 584. But since the start of September, he's at 208, 333, 321. Again, ups and downs are going to happen. We've seen Mark Canna go through these kind of peaks and valleys all year. Look at Eduardo Escobar. Look at, you know, he had a, a, a rollicking April, had a very rough few months, <laughs> few months, you know, that might even, it was, you know, it was a large portion of the season. He just was not good. He was, his timing was off. He wasn't the player that he was advertised as. He wasn't the player that we saw, you know, red hot in April. Uh, his last 20 games heading uh, before he hit the I.O., I should say. Uh, 217, 260, 420. Striking out 26% of his at-bats, uh, plate appearances. 90 weighted runs created plus because, you know, I guess he does his job. You know, we know that he's a streaky hitter. Just talked about that. But this is a guy who can carry a team when he's hot. In 20 games, this is heading into Sunday, 20 games since returning from the I.L., which was the 27th of August, I want to say. 373, 419, 716. He dropped his K percentage by 10%, went from 26 even to 16.2, so just a shade under 10%. And his rated runs created plus is, uh, I don't know, a double major league average, so 215. <laughs> you know, this is the type of performances that, if Pete Alonso hits, hits a, a funk, which he has as of late, we'll talk about his – well, we can talk about his, his Sunday right now. Um, what do you make of Pete finally showing a little well, – a Met finally showing a little emotion after getting hit by a pitch today and it being – happened to be Pete? He's had an interesting week, right, because uh, against Samson, he, he got a little bit peeved that he swung too early oh, on that. Samson, I'm sorry. Oh. I, I'm, a, I'm a product of the late 90s, and if I hear the name Samson, I hear the movie Half-Baked, and I want to talk to Samson. Yeah. Here to my head. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're good. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I think he was just a little bit upset that 
he just missed that one uh and then um he like flung down the bat and then there was the altercation with the the pitcher but then uh today i, I guess he was just upset you know the mets have been getting hit all year and we we've talked about that at length but oh, they're approaching uh, a major league record right and and so it happened four times on saturday and then he gets plunked again you know i i, I thought that that was um it was good you got to show fire and and at a certain point and and ronnie was saying this on the broadcast it doesn't matter whether it's intentional or it's unintentional, these guys have a right to be peeved. Uh, but clearly the, uh, the scouting report on how to pitch the Mets is that you got to bust them up and in. So um, it's just tough, like, especially with uh, uh, Starling Marte out because of being hit in the hand that, um, that these guys are still getting plunked. So I, I thought it was, uh, it was cool that they, they had a fiery response everyone was out and um i i thought the pirates you know were pretty feisty themselves uh even again after uh reynolds slid hard into second base and i think he spiked Guillaume a little bit he got him i i, I admittedly i had the mets on the tablet today so yeah well i, yeah, I, I Sunday. the reaction of Guillaume, uh it, it seemed to be that he that Reynolds had gotten him because he's trying to prevent that, uh, that out, which is, you know, just a superb play by Lindor. So yeah, I, I, I think that they're at the point where they're standing up for themselves. I also think that the warnings that were issued today in the Sunday game, uh, and, and again, Ronnie and Keith pointed this out on the broadcast, the warnings being issued made it so that even those, uh, uh early in the count that uh, the pitcher, I'm sorry, I forget his name, the Pirates pitcher, big guy. Uh, Oviedo? Yeah, he wasn't going to throw inside to Pete again, and so Pete was first strike, uh, first pitch swinging and uh, was able to to drive in that run early. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I thought that, that that was a good reaction by the Mets, and, and you've said it also this weekend, it's just that the Mets are not going to get uh, dragged into some sort of beanball war, but they're not going to not stand up for themselves. Right. I think we saw that come to a head uh, against Washington earlier in the year, against St. Louis earlier in the year. And I think the team started pushing that button again, you know, in earnest. And and, and the Mets, good on them for, for standing up. Good on Pete for, you know, telling it like it is. <laughs> I, did, I got a laugh out of Jeff McNeil being the one to stop Pete. You know, that's just like a, you know, how does, how does Jeff McNeil get in the way of Pete Alonzo? But, it, you know, someone's got to always get in the ear of somebody who's maybe losing their temper. Trust me. Trust me. I know all about this. <laughs> uh, someone gets in the ear and they say the right thing. And if it's, you know, it, it can just diffuse the whole situation. Clearly, there's a bond there. And whatever he said, he got Pete not to go in there and, and start throwing haymakers. Because, I you know, I, I would never advocate violence on a ball field but you know when like you like i guess like ronnie said whether it's intentional or not there comes a point that you have to be held accountable for throwing you know little death balls at at my at me while i'm standing in a box (laughs) you know and if you can't command those things and if your coach isn't going to take you out then yes i'm gonna i'm gonna bark at you a bit now i get that totally and if 
you know, these are adults. These are men. If it leads to blows, it leads to blows. It's part of the game. Um, should it be part of the game? That's another conversation for another day. But I'm glad that the Mets wouldn't be um, wouldn't be pushed around. I, I hope that they keep that that attitude. And uh, you know, Pittsburgh made a game out of it. That also, arguably, you know, and there was no getting through Jake. But once he hit that century mark, and O'Neill Cruz came up and did something big and impressive again, uh, you know, you have to. You could argue that the Pirates were ready to make that a ball game as soon as Jake showed any sign of vulnerability. And, you know, they did. And the Mets are just a better ball club and they did what they had to do to get the win. But man, I I find myself very impressed with, I like Brian Reynolds. I want to ask you a question about him in a second, but what are your thoughts on O'Neill Cruz? Do you think this kid is star material? Yeah, I I do. Um, He is also a bit of a free swinger and, and the reason like, that is, I think is because he could just flick the bat at the ball and it goes like 400 feet. So if you could do that, there's no reason why you wouldn't swing at a pitch in the other batter's box other than to like wait for one that's actually uh, in the zone. But yeah, he's, he's always been very toolsy. He's obviously very uh, gifted in terms of his, uh, his body structure, those long levers, six, seven, the the yeah. biggest shortstop that we've ever seen. And guy just has a rocket attached to his shoulder. So um, just a really special player. And I think he has a flair for those big moments. Yeah. And, uh, and he almost did it um, on Friday also, uh, hit that ball to the wall, which, uh, which McNeil caught, um, yeah. thankfully, but I think yeah. McNeil takes home that utility gold glove, by the way. I want to say that Guillaume is not eligible. I didn't, I don't believe he qualifies, but I don't know how, I guess, ironclad those qualifications are. Yeah. I want to say maybe he doesn't qualify, but, um, well, I think Bruce. there are also like some good candidates elsewhere. Um, you know, Dalton Barshow plays a lot of yeah. Uh, uh, I'm a big, big dark Dalton Barshow fan. Big yeah. fan. And um, he's a mini trout. Do you see that, or am I crazy for seeing? It? He's a mini trout, except he can play catcher too. <laughs> Dude, his swing, his swing is eerily similar. He plays center field. Not erratically. Uh, who was it? Mike Petriello from uh, MLB Statcast put a, put together a great thread on the mistakes that Varsho makes in inexperience. And this is on like bang, not bang bang plays, but reaction plays in the outfield. He makes up for an athleticism in spades. I, I, I saw it when the Mets played Arizona in April, and. I, I was I was smitten, <laughs> to say the least. And, and yeah, I'm very glad that he's doing well. But I, I do think McNeil should win. I think that, you know, he's a gold glove caliber player at two positions. Um Varsho's doing it too, and he's leading outfielders in OAA. But Wow. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I didn't he's, realize the numbers. The Mets booth was destroying him when they were in City Field. I want to say it was this season. I do. I believe it was this. It was the beginning of the season. 
they came played in um april i think yeah and it was still chilly out it was windy and you know the mets booth was killing him out there because he made he did me he made an error but you know I, I i stood up for him i said no i think he looks okay he's getting the balls and yeah, I got killed for it, but uh, <laughs> you know, to, to look up and see that, yeah, he's, I believe I want to say Petriello and um, Sarah Langs also at MLB shared that. Sarah Langs is awesome. Oh my goodness. I, I, you know, that is a, for someone who enjoys stats such as myself, that is just, you know, peak performance for stat heads. I, I sit and watch her Twitter feed and it's, I'm I'm awestruck at the things that she finds, the angles that she looks at things from. It's just, and there's so many people who do these sort of things, but yeah, Sarah's one of the best, man. She it, also celebrates the game with like a great amount of joy, which I think is uh, an underrated quality. In, that's the uh, battle, man. Yeah. This I game think. is too, it, it'll beat the, uh, it'll beat the heck out of you. And if you don't have a certain... I don't want to say masochism, but yeah, I think you have to be humble. You have to be passionate for it. It's a humble. It's a, it's a humble. Great uh, Terry Collins quote. And he says, there are two types of people in this game. Those who have been humbled and those who will be. And <laughs> I've always loved that. I thought that that pretty perfectly captures the difficulty of baseball. And um, that's why 162 is tough, right? And, and and we've talked about it so much. It's, Aaron, it's perfect. Yeah. It's tough. It's grueling. It's beautiful. It's perfect. Yeah. Let's take let's take a break. I yeah. do want to knock off a couple of things off the list before we uh before we sign off. And I can't believe there's two weeks left in the season. But okay, let's hear from the sponsors. We'll be right back. Hang tight. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back. So uh, Max Scherzer is coming back from the IL on Monday to face, like, as you were saying, a a still uh, contending, a still, uh, a a recently resurgent Milwaukee Brewers club. And I think it'll be Burns for the Brewers. So Uh, exciting. The playoff atmosphere. It's as good a, a matchup as it could possibly be. That's uh, I was going to go to that game, but uh, another event came up, so I'll be there on Tuesday, which I'm really looking forward to. How far are you from Milwaukee? I think it's like five hours. Mm-hmm. I have a friend from school who uh, he's working there, um, so we'll get to catch up with him. So, it's like, so for like someone like me who's from the metro area, the New York metro area, it. I truly don't grasp how close how close Midwest cities are to each other. You're Chicago to you know Cleveland to Detroit to wherever. Uh, they're all pretty much a Long Island to upstate New York trip away from each other, which is generally anywhere from four to six, seven hours. 
Yeah, kind of. Uh, so Minneapolis is definitely like the furthest west of the Midwest cities. Sure. You're still uh, East Coast time or no? No. Central. No, you're Central. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, as it's, I've been told by my friends in Chicago, normal people time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good sports time. I like uh, I like Central time. But oh, you guys yeah. get noon NFL games on Sunday. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. That's what wow, the here. Yeah. I want that. Uh, I want those 9 a.m. California games. I want them so, at 10 a.m. So bad. <laughs> um, yeah, Arizona time is good too for sports, but wait, wait, um, they don't do daylight savings, right? Uh, no, they don't. Yeah, so it's three years. It's three hours all year, or two. Uh, it, I get so three hours or two hours. Yeah, but if they don't do daylight savings, they're just playing the same game, right? Welcome to our uh, time zone podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just blew my own mic and I had to say it out loud. Um, can, I, can I ask you a question? Off the rails. We need a siren alert when we're can going I, off the rails. Can I ask you a question about DeGrom? Um, so this is the second time that it's happened to him since he's returned this year. Uh, Dansby Swanson got him as the last batter uh, in, in the game that DeGrom started against the Braves. And then today, O'Neill Cruz gets him. Do you think that even though uh, it seems like DeGrom has kind of uh, dialed it back a little bit on his fastball, that there's there's something that makes him more susceptible that, that third time through? Because he's given up five home runs this year. Four of them are that third time through. Do you think that there's... Uh, something specific that he's doing? No, I, I'm. I want to, and I don't want to. You know, I don't think that Jacob Degrom is. I don't think he's doing anything wrong. I don't think that he's necessarily missing spots. I think that he's just still adjusting to coming back after taking a year off. Well, taking a year off after being you know hurt for a year or just about. Um, I think, and, and Jerry Blevins, our buddy at Shea Station, uh, he was doing the SNY pregame a couple of weeks ago, I believe. We might have even brought this up. He was talking about Jake, you know, just kind of easing himself into that fifth gear. And we've seen it come out, I think, on Sunday we with the 13 strikeouts, just looking dominant at times, um, even going into his last start, where you started to see his secondary stuff his other pitches, besides just the slider show up, you started to see him hit the right side of the plate from the pitcher's perspective um, with more pitches, not just focusing on that inner left corner, again, from the pitcher's perspective. Um, but from there, I, I want to say that, and again, this is a very outside perspective, very amateur perspective, but I think that Jake is just kind of on that journey and he's so good and so talented that as he's getting to that peak, whatever, whatever, I can only imagine where his peak is in his head. And you know that, you know, he's, he's got to be a perfectionist. Um, I can only imagine where that peak is. But, you know, his pitch to Cruz today wasn't a bad pitch, I want to say. I, I'm trying. I'm, I'm struggling to pull it Not up. Not only that, but it's a, that hit was a unicorn. That it would have only been a home run at City Field, which is really would it dong. Follow I follow them on Twitter. They're great. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm actually looking up the um 
the pitch location on StatCast right now because I'm very curious. No, no, give me the. I think you're right that it wasn't like a bad pitch. It looked like a very easy swing. Well, I want Cruz oh. just has crazy power. I want to look at the the sequence. I want to look at the whole thing. See, everybody, and I know not a lot of you listen, but for those of you who do, we're going to be able to do this in much, much clearer detail very soon, hopefully. But let's stop that talk right here. But so Jacob DeGrom, he started him off with a fastball out of the zone called for a ball. Second pitch slider in the dirt, also taken for a ball. I think that maybe does lend weight to him maybe hitting a wall at the 100 mark, you know, as he's going down his journey. From there, he starts with <laughs> – he takes him with a four seam that darts away from the left-handed hitter. It ends up outside of the strike zone and not quite in the right-handed batter's box, but certainly off the plate, uh, foul off, which is a perfect example of what you were saying earlier where o- O'Neill Cruz is a bit of a free swinger, but you hit it on the head when you said that he can take a pitch outside the strike zone or eight inches off the ground or six inches outside and send it out at a ridiculously low launch angle. And you don't think it's ever going to go out, but lo and behold, that thing is over the freaking fence. It's amazing. But um, back to this, uh, this wonderful at bat here, another four seam lower in the zone, pretty much center of the strike zone. And he took it, which was surprising. Uh, fouled off another one that was low, um, pretty much same height as that last pitch, much, much further off. Um, not quite the black, but close to it off the plate. That seems to be a, a very vulnerable, a vulnerable area for Cruz as far as fouling pitches off low and away. He can get everything else. Maybe he's just not catching up to, especially from DeGrom when he's, oh, he's only at 98. Wow. That's surprising. Well, I'm wondering if that's on purpose, like by design to not gas him too quickly. Possibly. That's certainly possible with a guy with the bat speed and, and the ability to reach all different angles and locations across the zone with his bat, with his barrel. Um, Oh, I would, you know, again, outside perspective, I would expect Jake and, his battery and the coaching staff didn't know let's go after this kid and blow him away. Um, personally, I was expecting, you know, fastballs up and out of the zone just because it's really tough to catch up with one one when they're, you know, they're up at your, up at the, the letters at your chest. But um, yeah, I think, I think it's almost like he's easing into the, that perfect blend of pitching and overpowering guys. And he can do it like no one else can. But I think he's fine-tuning that because he knows what's ahead for this team. Uh, yeah, I, I'm fully expecting a a dominant Jacob DeGrom down the stretch for his last few starts and, and into the postseason. You remember 2015? He was amazing. He was. Mostly. And, and uh, game five, it, it, it doesn't happen without him and it doesn't happen without Daniel Murphy. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. He was obviously phenomenal before that. Uh, that sixth inning, he uh, struck out 13 through five, which is just unreal. Um, and then the Mets struck out 20, which it, it, uh, it tied the record, right? They had a chance at 21, but yeah, it ties a major league record. I believe Houston 
did it earlier this year. I think the SNY broadcast mentioned that, and it's been done many other times. Yeah. So, yeah, that that was awesome. Uh, I I am I, I do want to bring up the um the rotation kind of falling back into place. I guess it's postseason rotation time because we talked about how Buck kind of split up uh, the aces earlier on, and that was you know. I guess circumstances led to that as well as I think strategy also, but you know, They're back together now. Yeah. Bringing Max back on Mondays, Jake on Sunday, it really lines things up. Uh, our buddy, Kyle, it's uh, at Mets fan. Oh, four, three, one. He's a trooper. He's the only one who answered our very, very late uh, Twitter post to, uh, to, to grab any questions. But uh, he also asked me earlier in the day and I was watching football and I'm, wow, I'm like, that's a really good question. I need some time to answer that. And it was, you know, Johnny on the spot with uh, with the question once we asked. If the Mets have to trim down to four pitchers, which, you know, because of scheduling might be, they might need it at some times, they might need a fifth at some times. Who's out for you? Well, and I, you have to assume that it comes down to Taiwan Walker. Is it anybody else in the mix for you? Uh I would have said Peterson, but um, this past start was really concerning. Couldn't find the zone against the Cubs, but that's also concerning if he's going to be a, a bullpen piece. My gut inclination is to go with Ty, uh, but I, I don't know. I, I mean, it could be just who who they're facing and – yeah. Uh, who has better numbers against those guys? Uh, on, on one hand, you have Carlos Carrasco, who's had success for a long time in, in this league and um, probably won't be overwhelmed by the moment. So I'm thinking maybe you go with him, but um, I think they're both good options. And I'm glad that the that the front line, the front three are kind of more or less settled. Oh, absolutely. And in <laughs> I think to kind of echo what you were saying about matchups, you know, you might have a team that struggles mightily against off-speed stuff. And then, you know, if you've already used Jake and Max and you have a team that, that whether it's change-ups, whether it's splitters, you know, you have two very viable options with two outstanding, well, splitters, both Taiwan Walker and Carlos Carrasco, but even Carrasco's change-up, mm-hmm. um, since he's come back, it's looked sharper and sharper. And his last start, even he struck out how many? 11? No, he struck out more than that. Yeah, 11. Right? Carrasco last time? Right? Clemente Day, yeah. Yeah, Clemente Day. Um, you know, his changeup looked disgusting. And same thing with his splitter. You know, if you have a team that struggles against that, or if you have a team that struggles against uh, breaking pitches, you know, you, you have Bassett. I think that this Mets at least the rotation was constructed in such a way that it gives them the ability to just oh, fine tune those matchups. And I think we could still see a, um, a, a McGill Williams Peterson type piggyback, but whatever, you know, let's say someone go, leaves early and you have all three of those guys healthy and ready to go. These guys are all, you know, I don't know if McGill is stretched out past one innings. He might be stretched out to two. I'm really not sure. I think he's closer to two. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, even that's even better. You know, you have the ability to really adjust on the fly. And, and that's um, especially with the numbers that, you know, Peterson bounced back so well. Williams has been terrific. Lucchese's rehab outings have been going really well. 
the Mets could have done a lot more at the deadline. But what things are shaping up to look like over the next couple of weeks and into the postseason, this is going to be a, um, a revamped, not just revamped and fresh and talented group. It's going to be a group that teams haven't seen a lot of. And I think that's going to give the Mets a bunch of advantages late in games when you have Lucchese coming out, who's so deceptive to begin with, and he's got a new wrinkle on his churve or something that guy has guys hasn't seen. And, and you know, now you're dealing with that in the seventh inning of a close game in the NLDS, and you don't see the thing until it's, you know, 35 feet away, and it looks like a changeup, but it's ducking like a curveball. Like, that's awesome. Ugh, baseball, baby, I love this. Yeah, and th- they've got, like you said, reinforcements. I think it'll be both Scherzer and McGill tomorrow, so they'll have to make a couple of moves. And then uh, – and then Drew Smith is on the verge of coming back as well. We haven't seen him in a while. Oh, his stuff is disgusting, and he's another confidence guy. When he's pitching confidently, it's so you, – you, you, you see it. You could just see it when he's pitching that he just – he is dragging him behind him out there. And, and he's just – you know, the level of his stuff, the location of his fastball um, – the makeup that he has out there. You've seen him get ruffled. You've seen him snap back in and strike out two guys to get out of a jam, too. I, I like Drew Smith a lot. Um, I, I like what – I know that people really, really give Joe Lee Rodriguez a hard time. And, yes, everyone, I agree that there, there's times and places for Joe Lee Rodriguez. And as the Mets have been shorthand, he's probably been forced into spots that maybe he shouldn't be in. But – since August 1st, this is after his two perfect innings on Sunday. Uh, struck out five in two perfect innings, I should note. He's got a 2.94 ERA since August 1st. I mean, that's absolutely solid. That is a quality reliever. I 100% believe that he should not be in Big, big, big spots. But if you put him in spots, and again, we're going to go back to matchups, where that that sweeping breaking pitch that he has that comes out of such a funky delivery, at such a funky angle, if you have guys that have historically struggled against a sweeping breaking pitch from a lefty, and for some reason he gets lefties chasing that pitch more than, I believe he has better numbers, I mean, uh, righties. He's better numbers against righties than he does against lefties, but... You know, backward splits are a thing now because guys are used so differently. And, you know, you can just pinpoint these tendencies and vulnerabilities and, you know, you can make it work. And I think that when you have cutting edge technology and smart coaches and guys who can implement data into teachable stuff, you know, we're pointing we're pointing right at you, Jeremy Hafner. Yeah, and, and we should say that you know, the Mets are going to be so much more granular in how they're looking at these things than oh, you would know. Are I, able to be. I was going to say, you, you would know this stuff firsthand. What are your thoughts on the – and I think maybe we should tie Stephanie Epstein's article into this. Did you read that this week from SI.com? No. Oh, okay. Um, Stephanie wrote it to – I thought it was wonderful. Um, a really, really detailed story on where the Mets – were as an organization where they are now and where they're heading and of course to tell that story you can't avoid this 
I don't want to get into all the details. That's a, another hour we're tacking on, but <laughs> you have to, you know, tell the whole story, the transformation of a hapless franchise into what it's become into the, the foundation that's being laid for what's going to come in the future for this team. Um, and you were just talking about it. I mean, the, down to the most granular details, they're trying to pull out all the stops. They're trying to, whatever's going to make the players better. And they're getting, you know, instructions directly from the players in these regards. I don't know if anybody noticed, but I saw it in the article. I'd never heard this previously, but they tinted or put a coating on the windows out in center field, those office windows at city field uh, to eliminate the glare. In, I believe it was afternoon games. There was a glare or, you know, certain time of year during the evening games. You know, it would go right into the batter's faces. And little things. Uh, players wanted a certain training tool. I, now, for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. And, you know, Cohen's like, yep, yeah, no problem. They got a children's room um, for, you know, families and stuff. And, uh, you know, I guess Max is Max Scherzer's kids and, you know, everyone was really impressed by it. And it's just, it's, it's the rebirth of an organization and people were really upset about it on Twitter. And Steve Cohen, he called it, um, I forget exactly the words that he used, but he said it was a cut and paste story. It's a lot of like rehash stuff. And then you had fans who were just blindly defending it, which, you know, I get the whole savior aspect of Steve Cohen and, um, from any, you know, interaction i've had with him he's he's jovial he's very nice and it's just twitter stuff but um you know you can't tell the whole story without telling the whole story and i thought stephanie Epstein did a really really nice job of telling the whole story and it made me excited for the future and because it was 2000 words i feel like people didn't get that far they were turned off by the will pond stuff and you know she got into very, very strong detail about the mountains of terrible shit that this organization has done over the years. And even as they continued to do, as they transitioned into a new ownership group, which I'm sure also ruffled some feathers within the organization. No, oh, we don't want to hear about that. We're doing better. Of course you are. Then why did it take you until now to, to get rid of that? Anyway, we're not going to get into all this. Taryn, I'm sorry. I'm going off on tangents. Tonight. No, no, no. I, I'm, I have it pulled up. I'm going to read it uh, after we. <laughs> but, um, um, and Trevor yeah. May, are you, are you happy with where Trevor May is at? I know we got to Joelle and never moved on. but Yeah, no, pretty solid today. Uh, I think that that kind of role is fine for him. If it's not a safe situation, I feel comfortable with him being in there. Um, and I should go back and clean up something that I said, McGill, uh, I don't think has thrown more than an inning at a time. No. I was going to say he didn't, but boy, I'm excited to see Tyler McGill, you know, maxing it out. That should be fun. I think we talked about that too. Yeah, me too. Um, so <laughs> should be a good week. And, uh, yeah. And as always, we'll, uh, we'll be talking about it and looking forward to getting back, uh, soon. Oh, looking forward to being back on the air. Looking forward to Starling Marte coming back. Looking yeah. forward to Jeff McNeil continuing to be, you know, MVP level consistency, which <laughs> is, you know. Oh, I have one last question for you. And this is like the hypothetical of the evening. It'll be a fun way to finish things off. Mm -hmm. um, Brandon Nimmo's about to hit free agency. Brandon yeah. Nimmo's been invaluable to this ball club. I think it's a strong possibility he returns to 
Queens. That's, of course, just my opinion. Um, Brian Reynolds. We saw a bunch of him over the last month or so. Uh, you know, as Gary Cohen noted on the broadcast, I believe his first three hits of the series went exactly to the same spot on exact same pitches. Just He's a machine. And I think that's what I got from it was that Brian Reynolds is, is a machine. Uh, plays a very nice center field. Um, looks like he's dying to be on a winning ball club. Mm-hmm. If Brandon Nimmo, let's say his price goes up, and price shouldn't matter to the Mets anymore. That's not what I'm saying. But let's say they see more value and maybe even a well, a more well, more well-rounded. Would that be the right way to say it? Yeah. I think, yeah, he is. You think, I mean, that's, and that's even debatable because Brandon now has really stepped up his game across the board. But if you had the option to re-sign Nimmo to a, let's say a, a long year, a long-term deal, um, I'm, I'm really not sure what he's going to get on the open market. I'm anticipating something like four or five, but who knows? You know, maybe he could go three. You, you don't know. If you had the choice to move prospects for Brian Reynolds or bring back Nimmo for, let's say, slightly above market, let's say like, I don't know, $15 million a year for four years. I just had to swipe a bug from my face, messed up my concentration, but... <laughs> Do you even consider like moving away from Nimmo? We know what he does for this ball club. He's yeah, I, I think that, that value on Nimmo is pretty good. Uh, I don't think that I would hesitate to pay him that, but yeah. um, it depends what Reynolds would cost, right? He's still yeah. controllable for another three years. And he's out. What a, what a scrappy. And he's, he reminds me of Jeff McNeil. Yeah. He's only 27 years old too. Um, Kevin Newman is like that, but Kevin Newman gets a bad rap because he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Kevin Newman is a terrific hitter. He's also a pretty good infielder, I believe. But, um, boy, you know, you have to wonder if the Pirates had, you know, actual ownership, actual money to spend, and an actual incentive to spend money, I should say, mm-hmm. where they would be as an as an organization. You don't remember the Pirates being good, right? Uh I, I mean, I, I remember when they returned. The to yeah, the McCutcheon yeah. days. Okay. Lynn and, and that group. Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, my first I don't remember like Bonds being on the Pirates. or like That was my first introduction to postseason baseball were those Pittsburgh-Atlanta series, mm-hmm. the Sid Bream slide yeah. series. Uh, I believe that was Bonds' throw home. It was. it was like my, my introduction to postseason baseball. I just started playing Little League that year. It was like my introduction to like the intensity of it. And I just fell in love with it. It was amazing. I don't remember 88, but I remember 89. I believe it was 89 and 90 or 90 and 91. Anyway, clear as day. <clears throat> you know, those, the excitement and the, the history and the tradition of Pittsburgh baseball, those, <laughs> those freaking uniforms I, I love everything about the Pittsburgh Pirates. I would, if the Mets weren't around, I would be a Pittsburgh Pirates fan. And I think I've come to that conclusion a few times over the last few years, regardless of the ownership. Just maybe it's Ralph Kiner. I'm not sure, but I am a fan, man. I like that team. I like Brian Hayes. I like Brian Reynolds. I like Rodolfo Castro. I don't care if he has a cell phone in his pocket, but he probably shouldn't do that. I think Mitch Keller and God damn you, Mitch Keller, for hitting Starling Marte and find your command. But he's he has an 
he's hit an excellent another level and i've been a believer in mitch keller for a long time i'm happy for him i'm a follower i i i can watch the uh the pirates do their thing pretty much uh, on a whim and i'll be satisfied it's jack Sawinski. Yeah. jack Sawinski puts a charge into him man yeah they have this week but... exciting young players oh man I'm sorry, bro. I hope I'm not taking up too much of your time tonight. <laughs> I'm feeling good, man. The Mets finally swept again. They're, the sweep, the getting swept and leading into a sweep is just such a vibe changer, man. It hits the reset button on everything. It sure does. It's awesome. Are we, are we ready for the sign-off? Yeah, I think we are. All right, guys. You know how it goes. It's, uh, oh, let me remember. It's let's fucking go, Mets. You guys know how it is. <laughs> um, you know where to find us. We are going to be back. Maybe later in the week, maybe Sunday. Schedules are a little wild right now. Everyone's got a little stuff going on. Summer's over. Every, the whole everything, the whole dynamic changes. But we'll be back. Um, we have to bring Jerry, our buddy, uh, Paranormal Base, uh, Parlay J. Um, I've been talking to him. He has to come back. I think we're going to do an NFL crossover pod one day. I think we're going to try and jump into that world just to kind of mix it up. If the Mets have a bye week, I'm sure we'll. Uh, well, after this will be well into the uh, into the off season, but now we got to do the sign off again. Let's fucking go, Mets. We'll see you guys next time. All right, peace. 